welcome to season two of the AFCA podcast we like to call, That's a Terrible Idea, When Do We Start? I'm your host, Jen Panatoni, who will be joined by our executive director, Tanya Weaver. Join us every other week as we tell stories, talk about places we've been, things we have seen, and all while simultaneously running a small charity that's making a big difference in the lives of children with AIDS. Thank you for being with us here today. Here we go. Hey, Tanya. Hey, Jen. How are you? How are you doing today? Good. Busy, but good. Oh, yeah. I'm busy, busy, too. Um, I actually just had uh, a meeting because I am the lead in our green committee at our schools. So I was just ran to go meet with um, the principal of our school because our school district is paying for composting, but we're not doing it. <laughs> what? I know we're paying for composting, but there's all these challenges. The kids only have 20 minutes to eat for lunch. We're short on volunteer staff, Great. all of this stuff. So I um, I met with him to kind of get the lay of the land. And it's kind of inspired me for our podcast today um, because I really wanted to talk to you about, um, you know, what you've seen um, after doing programs with AFCA for so long, these sustainability programs. How is, you know, uh, the changing landscape of, you know, um, our weather and climate and um, and what you've seen over the last couple of years in our programs? Yeah, well, it's changed a lot. <laughs> but first of all, I am uh, shocked. You're, the kids in schools only get 20 minutes to eat lunch. That's insane. But anyway. Yeah, um, it's really sad. They come home with a lot of um, partially eating eaten sandwiches and 20 minutes is just not enough. It's definitely not enough for my little, um, my kids who, I mean, they're just slow dilly dally eaters anyway. So yeah, but 20 minutes, that's insane. We have an exchange student from Switzerland here and they get two hours of lunch. Yep. So anyway, that's yeah, 20 that's, minutes. That's horrific, but digressing. Um, yeah. so yeah, no, our programs have changed a lot. You know, in the, I think uh, we've seen a lot more droughts and a lot more, um, lot more extended droughts. And I think that is the first thing that made us have to work towards doing conservation farming. I remember starting that in Zimbabwe um, in mm -hmm. particular because they had had a drought for like six, seven years and cattle were dying. And I remember driving through and cattle were literally bones and they were laying on what used to be rivers but now it was just a sand and people were digging through the sand to try to find water underneath um and i remember just looking in horror as you know all these animals were dying which when the animals are dying then the people are dying and there was so much hunger it was it was so bad and um, it happened also in um, Kenya, huge famine. Um, way back when we lost 25 kids, not to AIDS, but uh, to hunger, which is when we started our food program because nobody should die of hunger. Um, and it was really uh, just drought, you know, unexpected drought. And uh, they had never seen anything like that for a while. And um, 
when I would ask what's happening, they're like, our weather patterns are changing, you know, El Nino, La Nina, all this stuff. And it's just changing. We no longer know when to grow things. And that was actually a conversation I just had three months ago in Congo. They're like, we don't, we always knew on the 15th of April, we're going to put this in the ground on the 15th of September or whatever, we're going to put this in the ground. And we always knew it. They're like, not anymore. Now it's a free for all. Nobody knows. We don't know when to expect rain. You can't plan your trips. And I can't anymore. I used to plan my trips knowing when it was going to be rainy season or not. And not anymore. I could be there not expecting rain and then we're in a deluge. And the ground is so dry from not having had rain for a long time that it just erodes and trees fall and huts fall and people die. and It's crazy. Things have changed a lot. So with that, we've had to change our programs. Yeah, yeah. I remember you going to um, DRC and I mean, you got caught in like monsoon weather too. So if it's shifting around, it's hard for you to plan. And that's a, a, a big kind of waste of your time if you're flying all that distance and then you're unable to visit programming because of weather, because it's too it's unsafe for you to be, I mean, traveling on those roads to begin with, and then you add flooding to that mix and it's Impossible. a disaster, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so <clears throat> do you see from your experience that, um, is this the same across all of the different areas that AFCA works in, like Zimbabwe, DRC, um, Kenya, are, they, are the problems very similar? um with with the drought is it is it different by country or is it kind of the same kind of i think it's a happening? little bit the timing is different by part of africa but it's all been affected um yeah and like in malawi there's some places where it just hasn't rained in forever and then like i say suddenly they'll get this rain and the poor earth you know cannot take it um yeah, so one of the five reasons why we decided to do trees is for that, like to try to help with the whole erosion problem and try to keep some of that water. And uh, we're finding ourselves doing more water projects. We didn't used to do that, but there's a huge lack of water. Um, and then, as I say, it could just rain torrentially and there's nowhere for that water to go. Um, so you have these two incredibly opposing uh realities you know that is actually happening and that we're seeing right now they just changed the way that they make beds for the gardens in mm -hmm. kenya um so that there our program did so that they can conserve more water and at the same time when they do have the torrential that it doesn't just wash everything away so they're doing that we've used wicking gardens in zimbabwe trying to also use the moisture that we can put in there and conserve it uh, we are now doing greenhouses, you know, with drip irrigation. So little water, but a big pop for what you're putting into it. Um, and as I say, conservation farming as well, and just trying to keep things undercover as much so that it doesn't all evaporate in the incredible heat. So there's a lot of things that we've had to think through um, with your average person because none of them are really like super big agronomists or anything. They're just average people trying to survive. And they're like, this is what we're facing. How right. can we fix this? Yeah. So it's, we have definitely seen changes. We've seen um, 
just things that have made growing food and keeping livestock healthy a little bit more difficult. So you have to be more creative. Yeah, and I was kind of um, gearing up for this episode, just kind of um, doing a little research on my own to kind of understand some of the different methodologies that people are putting in place. And it seems like, you know, they're having to probably employ things that are new to Africa in general. It looks like from what I read, um, you know, generally they've tried to keep uh, genetic modification of crops out of Africa, but slowly there are more and more countries that are turning to this in order to have crops that are resilient to drought and these changing weather patterns. But as we know from our experiences here in the United States, that will cause additional issues down the line, you know, and I know that that is something that when we, in our gardening projects, we've always used non-GMO seeds and, um, you know, like, uh, to me, having seeds that you're able to save is just like a basic human right that you should be able to produce your own food time and time again and not have to be beholden to, you know, these companies that own basically the rights to grow these uh, these crops. And so it seems like it's a might be a necessary evil in some cases, but at the end of the day, it's like not going to be the answer, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I hope that as long as we can, that we will always provide um, non-genetically modified so that they can save their seed. It's their bank account. Exactly. It's just their bottom line for surviving the next year. And as, as an organization, we want them to be sustainable. We don't want to always be giving and giving and giving and giving. And you start setting people up for one harvest and then what asking for somebody to give them a handout and that's not what we're about at all we're about here let's help you start because we know you're capable and because we know that you need this and then you're going to carry on you're expected to help yourself and then help somebody else so it would it's the absolute opposite of we want what we want to do you know if we make them to every time every season get new seeds yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I was so impressed um, from my experience in Zimbabwe, just the ingenuity that people have when it came to reusing materials um, and keeping those things out of landfills because, you know, they don't have the same waste management systems that we have here. So you do, when you're driving down the road, see quite a bit of like trash by the side of the road and just the ingenuity of them always figuring these things out and it just um like you're saying you know like if they have a flooding problem they're looking to put in trees that are going to soak up the water and and they do that because they have no choice and but here we have too much choice and we're not taking advantage of these these kinds of things here in our in our home um, but it, it's so very cool to see them just, you know, making do with what they have and using plastic bottles as building materials and, um, it can be done, you know, so, and they have the ingenuity to do it. Um, so well, it was, that was really neat. And the thing is that 
we could all be doing that. Really, That's what I'm saying. We, we could. could all be doing that. Like even this morning, I finished a little tub of face lotion and it's glass. And I'm thinking, oh, just wash it out. And now I have a new spice container, you know, like, there you go. It's as easy as just trying to think of why would I buy something else when I have the stuff here? We're just putting it in a recycle bin, but is that actually good waste management in the long run if we could actually reuse it? So um, I I know that you and I are super excited about the Lulove project because right. of that. You know, that's one of the things of building latrines using recycled material and making it look beautiful, you know, and super useful. And um, at the same time, knowing that you're taking these two liter bottles of, um, you know, soda and stuffing them with more plastic, stuffing them with uh, sand and then making bricks out of them. Why not? Like it works and they stand for years and years and years and years and they're changing somebody's life. You know, it's really cool. Well, and it's solving for multiple problems. It's reducing yeah. their waste, which is going nowhere and saving um, resources and whatever by, you know, using stuff that already exists to repurpose it for another purpose. And right? it's creating so, jobs. Somebody's and it's creating jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that. And that's what's really, I mean, one of the reasons why I was drawn to AFCA from the very beginning is um, this continued message, you know, about the importance of sustainability. And um, it's just so cool to see that coming to fruition. When do you think uh, Lulove, I know they're going to start kicking off um, soon creating that kind of uh, that project. Are they starting to collect bottles or what What stage are they in Lula right now? Oh, just at the beginning. Like we've got so yeah. many things happening right now. So it's at the beginning. I, uh, we have a person that will be collecting. You know, he's been hired to do that, um, mm-hmm. which is cool because he's now going to have a job. And then yeah. there'll be a couple builders that come in with an intern that will learn how to do it as well. So that's another four jobs created. And then the families, of course, have been um, the areas where we're going to be starting this project have already been selected. Um, and we're going to be doing one latrine in each village at a time so that they each get one. And then we'll round back and then do a second one in each one, round back to a third one in each one. That way nobody feels that they are not as important or the last village doesn't have to wait 15 years to get their stuff. So uh, we're going to start with five, five groups. And they've been selected already, and we know of 49 families that immediately um, need a latrine. So I sent our first bunch of money, um, and now it's a matter of getting the photos back. So we're at the very beginning, but yeah. Uh, I can't wait to see how that grows. Um, yeah. And then, so I guess circling back to the climate, um, what do you think is like some of the biggest risk right now that AFCA is, you know, dealing with, with the changing climate? You said, do you think like greenhouses might be one of the answers to help combat um, the problem to protect crops? What about our goats? Are they, um, is there some way that they're able to 
um, you know, make changes there that'll help protect them from, from the heat or what do you see there? Um, the goats are doing fine. Like they live in good housing. They, it's not American standard, I'm sure, goat housing, but they are in great housing. They are protected mm -hmm. from and from rain and from sun, and they have plenty of space for that. And they have plenty of space to walk around. The beauty of the places where we work is that there's plenty of space for them to graze. So they yeah. can go out with a shepherd and spend the day out in fields grazing and eating good stuff as long as it's rained and that there's good stuff to eat. So one thing right. that we've done in Zimbabwe is uh, because we expect another drought to happen. Um, it's been forecasted. So we just put in quite a bit of money to um, buy um, a mill, a grinder, where we will be doing our own food for the animals. So um, when the, cause it's not an if, so when the drought comes, we can be providing the families with fodder and with food that has come uh, from the Africa project. So um, the machine finally arrived and uh, I got a picture and it's, it's pretty darn cool. And so they were starting last week to, you know, test all the different grasses and the different corn and the different things that they will be using, um, always in mind with what will be available during a drought. Um, some of the trees that we're planting are moringa and they are, pro they have protein. So that will be added. So they have a whole bunch of things that can be added to make good food for the goats. And one of our guys, Tando, who knows goats very well, has been sent to a nutrition class for goats. So he knows how to make this. So now he gets a shine and teach the other guys there, you know, how to do it. So it's cool. Um, in Congo, uh, we're building a multiplication center now for goats, and we've also put in a few fields of cassava and fruit trees and moringa and um, corn and things that the goats can eat as well as pasture. So again, you can keep some of these things for a long time in time of drought and then have a store. Um, but we have not experienced drought in Congo, thankfully. There, we've just had unending months of rain right now. Um, mm. and just a shifting pattern of when it's going to rain. So right now it's just been raining every day for months and months, but, um, yeah, we, otherwise housing we're, we're good. So right now our focus is on making sure we have enough food for the incoming drought. Yeah. Right now, I think I saw in the news the other day, um, you know, uh, when we were in Zimbabwe and we learned that a lot of the grain, um, is supplied to that country from the Ukraine and the war in Ukraine um, was causing a lot of the stuff to be held up. But I had seen a, a headline the other day that um, the first containers were being shipped out. Are you and now this is kind of off subject, but are you seeing are people saying that more grain is starting to come in at this I point? No, no, I, I don't know. Maybe um, I don't yeah. know who is shipping to where or where it's getting distributed it hasn't hit any of our families i i right I so our know. families are mostly just all self-sustaining with what we have here in the programs then mm -hmm. yeah right yeah. so and that's really the most important thing too um because they were saying even with with climate and when when it changes and when there's scarcity and resources there also causes conflict right so 
the most sustainable thing is for us to be able to produce most of everything that we need locally, which is another reason why our programs are so sustainable because it's local to the person, right? You don't want everybody depending on imports and and things coming in because we know that that can change rather quickly and it can even change across you know a country if you don't have your own supply um you know like with hunger with drought and reduced resources rises you know more conflict happens but when these programs are put in place and people feel more secure and they know you know that they're going to have what they need to produce food um because they've been doing these programs like this for so long then it's not as stressful on those communities and there's less conflict so i mean it's important for peacekeeping too right do you do you agree or i do agree i do agree but i also think that even on a smaller level yeah. when it comes to food like with families when you're hungry you do anything to feed oh, yeah. your children. So um, it doesn't have to be a war that breaks out or something as big as that, which happens. But with For poverty, sure. um, a lot of people get desperate. And wouldn't you, like you and I as moms, you know, Hazel is crying, she's hungry. My kid is crying, they're hungry. And there's no food to be found. I think I would steal for my kid, you know? Oh, yeah. And, and oh, yeah. I would do it more so for them than for me. And then now I've stolen from a neighbor and I'm not saying all poor people steal at all. No, it's not a desperation. Nobody that wants that desperation to do it. Desperation right? of no food. And I mean, I've been in places with zero food. I can see where this uprising happens, where this desperation would lead people to also fight against the inequalities that they're experiencing versus others, or they'll go into a more affluent neighborhood and they've been able to eat. And then you see some maybe violence against people or just trying to get their children to eat. Um, and I've found that also on a different side with, with food is that food is political, you know, mm. like I've worked in countries where one party can withhold food from another group. You know, they know that this tribe over here votes this way. You can withhold food and governments can make agreements with other governments that the food that is imported is going to go to this part of their country and not that part. And that happens often enough that food is political. And um, I've always, my hat is always off to those who have never allowed that to happen in their distribution, where they do not ask, who are you from? What is your last name? What church do you belong to? What um, political party do you belong to? No. You're hungry. Here you go. Because in time of war and in time of all that, imagine food becomes a commodity. And with food is power. Yeah, it is. It is a complicated thing, you know, and start wow. genetically modifying food and that they cannot save it for the next year. And you complicate that issue to the 20 billionth degree. And it's easy easy to sit outside of countries that are suffering and make decisions and not know the repercussion of those decisions because you're not feeling it wow yeah. that's so much more deeper than i even thought we were going to get on food i think we could do a whole another episode on on the on the um intersection of food and power you know 
I'd like to even hear, right? right? I'd love to hear more about that. That's so interesting and something that I've never even really put a lot of thought into. But I, I to, sorry to interrupt you. I worked in oh, a country ahead. where they would tell people, and I'm not going to tell you which country. You want this sack of 50 pounds of corn? Vote for this person. Uh, I was there when that happened. I worked mm. in a country where they said, here's a shoe. You want the other shoe? Vote for this person. And it winter was coming. And I've seen it with food, you know, and that is as despicable as it can get. Forcing people to make a decision between their conscience, you know, one, who do I vote for? Who do I want in power and all that and feeding their children? So lack of food, lack of proper food, lack of water. Those are serious issues. We want our families to be able to take care of themselves and to take care of their communities and to never ask, who are you? Instead say, you're in need. Somebody took care of us. Let us help you. Let it not be by religion, politics, color, creed, sex, nothing. Let it just be because you are a human and I am a human. We will help each other because ah, food is food is tough and so is water. Water rights? Don't get me started. Uh, AFCA does so much when it comes to sustainability and, and climate does impact our programs and um, we need to help make sure that these programs are future proof. So anytime you support AFCA, you could, <laughs> yeah. you could rest assured that we've already thought about it. And as you can hear, see that Tanya thought about it extremely deeply. <clears throat> yeah, no, absolutely. I think the only projects that we have that are not 100% tied to something like that would be our school fees. But really, if you think about it, we're helping educate the children so that they can provide for themselves one day. So yeah, there's sustainability in that. But well, education it, is sustainable. You know, education is the bottom of everything. So you, you need that to be able to move forward. So I can't even kick that project out. Every one of our projects from trees to bees, to water conservation, to wells, to latrines, to greenhouses, to conservation farming, to work for women to training of uh, women so that they can go out and feed their families. You know, everything we do really is with the whole idea that a family, that a community can be sustainable, that they won't need us for a long time, but also that they can take care of themselves and their communities and in every which way possible that they take care of the world in which they sit because it's their world <laughs> and I they love that and, and they they understand that they're the ones that have seen their animals all die they didn't forget that so their world is very very important so we are just trying to help them do better for themselves keeping the earth involved in that as well you know the whole thing so yeah just support us just send me your money <laughs> send us your money we're doing good things with it. Well, Tanya, thank you for this conversation. Um, if anybody has other questions or wants to learn more about our programs, you can certainly visit our website at www.afcades.org. You can see all of the sustainability programs that we're working on and we 
posts about them and the statuses. We're always sharing good news. So we hope that you'll stay engaged with us and that you enjoyed this episode. Tanya, thank you so much. And we'll catch you later. All right. Thanks, Jen. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hey you, thanks for listening along with us today. We'd love it if you left us a review or shared this podcast with your buddies. By doing so, you're sharing the stories of thousands of children that deserve to be heard. Stop by and visit us on Facebook or Instagram and say hello and let us know you're listening. You can also sign up for our good news alerts on www.afcades.org. Till next time.